Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. And I'm Adam. And this is our best of 2019 edition, our top 10 films from 2019. And the best of the decade. We're going to tell you what 10 films we thought really slayed the 2010s. Yes. And there'll be some interesting, we already have predictions out. I'm predicting, Adam thinks we'll have four films in our best of the decade. In common. In common. And I say we'll have two. And uh, it'll I thought, probably hit in the middle. It'll probably be three. <coughs> yeah, I thought I thought our number one would be the same. I had a gut feeling it would be, and he he already slipped and let me know what it was. And I it, was questioned on the way in. Yeah, and so I'm like, I've been questioned. Like, I got hit up by three different people today. You know, uh, what's your number one film of the year? And I'm like, you have to listen to the podcast. So, you you guys listening are going to get the the first uh, reveal of our films and stuff. What we think. So. But before we jump into that, anything exciting? Good New Year's. Can you believe it's 2020? No. We're in the roaring, is this the roaring 20s part two? Yeah. I, the last part of the year went so fast. It seemed like it was December 15th and then just a whirlwind. And here we are now ending the first week in January. And there's no movies to watch, which is good because we went into we, overdrive. We need a break, man. November, December were Whew. very heavy movie watching months for us with all the screeners we were getting. So the weird thing is now I'm just watching TV. I've caught yeah. up on a lot of series. I, me too, as well. I uh, I think I was going into Thanksgiving with about 37, 38 films for the year and ended with close to 80-some. So if that tells you anything, <laughs> I watched a lot of movies, a lot of screeners and a lot of movies to try to catch up for 2019. Well, I'm really excited. So, this, so folks, this is the Film Coterie, and we are a general movie podcast. We are entering our fourth or fifth, yeah, fourth, fourth year, fourth year of doing this podcast, and uh, very excited. So, what we're going to do is we're going to and let's tease a little bit. We have some exciting news that's going to happen shortly for our yes. podcast for our series, the Film Coterie. We can't share the details just yet, but if you keep a close eye on our social media, which is at Film Coterie. There could be an announcement in this month or next month. I think there'll be an announcement this month. Absolutely. Some exciting things as we grow and expand. So anyway, uh, the, w- the way this format will work, I-, I have no idea except for what Adam's number one is because he loves the decade. Uh, yeah, of the decade. But for 2019, I have no clue what his top 10 films are. And we're just going to do a reveal live here on the show starting at 10 and going up. And uh, we'll do five each and talk about them and our thoughts real quickly. We won't dwell very longly, very, a very long time on them. No, you've already... I imagine you've heard a review for all of our top tens. Just about, yeah. Yeah, I'd be surprised if there was uh, one on our... There's one, maybe two on mine that we, we didn't, didn't do actually... A, we didn't, a formal review. We didn't do a formal okay. review. But, um, yeah, we'll talk about them. We'll try to stay somewhat spoiler-free. But, yeah. But, you know, we're going to mention things that if you're averse to spoilers... You probably, you know, I don't know what to, what to tell you. So <laughs> anyway, I think we should jump right in and do our best of 2019. You are listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. Okay, Adam, we are back, and uh, here it is, starting with 
number 10. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? Why don't you kick us off? Okay, my number 10 film of 2019 was directed by Joe Talbot, and it is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Now, we did not review this on the podcast. Yeah, it didn't really hit much here in Columbus, and we didn't get a screener until the end of the year. So I know you saw this one probably pretty late. Yes, I saw it late. Um, this is his, I think it's his first feature. I think he did American Paradise, was a short in 2017. I don't really know the actors at all, Jimmy Falls and Jonathan Majors. Um, but I saw it at the end of the year and just was just this movie just nailed me, man. Um, it's authentic. It's beautiful. It broke my heart and inspired me. And basically the setting is uh, San Francisco, modern day. And kind of the general overall theme is gentrification, the mm-hmm. idea of um, an African-American family and, and an African-American culture in San Francisco and how this family lived in a really nice house in the 50s and 60s, which is now not a black neighborhood, a black cultural neighborhood anymore. Um, and that's a house that they lived in is well over a million dollars now kind of a thing. And the, the the kid wants to go back and relive in that house again and kind of recapture some of his childhood. Um, it's about friendship. It's about acceptance, about dreams. I just love this from the moment this screener started rolling, I was captivated and held the whole time. And, you know, I'll say this from the outset, my six through 15 are all interchangeable. So this movie popped in and out of my top 10 about five times and finally landed there. So mine is last black man in San Francisco directed by Joel Talbot. How about you, Adam? What I'll say about that really quickly before I jump in is we're members of Kafka, the Central Ohio Film Critics Association, and they actually gave Last Black Man in San Francisco the Best Overlooked Film Award, and I think they got that one right. I no- I nominated it for the yeah. best. I was that was one I nominated. So, my number ten is directed by Ryan Johnson, and is Knives Out. Um, I thought this was a terrific whodunit. I've now seen it three times. I've loved it even more every time I watched it. It holds up so well, even if you know all the twists and turns. Great cast. One of the best scripts of the year, and again, this is where I think Kafka got it right. We gave him the best original screenplay award. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an immaculate script. He understands and loves the whodunit, and he's able to take his love of it and put it out into the world as a near-perfect version of this type of story, in my opinion. Now, I, I couldn't agree more. I loved it, um, enjoyed it in the theater, and then as soon as it came out, I watched it with the family, and they enjoyed it. It's a whodunit, a murder mystery. I think Daniel Craig is great in it. And I, I hope this is the beginning of a series of films. I love Ryan Johnson. I, I, the guy just knows how to craft film, make it entertaining. So I think it's a great pick. May or may not end up on my list a little bit later. I'll have to wait and see. All right. Why don't you do number nine, Adam? Number nine was my most interesting film going experience of the year. And I know this one is not on your list. <laughs> I know which one it is now. Too. It is The Art of Self-Defense. Okay. This is a comedy that's near as black as you can get. This is not the one I thought you were going to mention, but go ahead. This film really worked for me, but I saw it in the wrong atmosphere. This was the worst possible atmosphere I could see it in. It was a tiny theater. Yep. Nobody thought it was funny but me. What was there, maybe six of us? Six of us in a- It was a small theater. Every seat was full. Yeah. But this is the legendary uh, House 8. So what, maybe 10, 12 seats? Yeah. Yeah. And it was full- but I was the only one in the whole theater that thought it was funny. I mean, this is pitch black comedy. <laughs> I loved every minute of it. I've revisited it just to make sure I wasn't crazy. 
No, Art of Self Defense, Jesse Eisenberg in a kung fu weird. You know what's weird is this movie felt really flat with me, and usually we're usually on the same page for mo- for the most part, and we were like in dis- total disagreement yeah. on this film. But the more you talk about it and reference it, I, I have this sneaky suspicion if I went back and watched it, I- I'd start liking it more and more. You know? Yeah. So, and that's the thing. I just I knew I saw it in the wrong environment. If I had seen this at a film festival like Fantastic Fest. It would have killed. So um, it's definitely a disconnect for some people, but I loved it. So Art of Self-Defense, Riley Stearns, my number nine. All right. My number nine is a family film, and it's a British film, and it's called Fighting with My Family. This uh, came out of nowhere and just really nailed me, no pun intended. And it's about a family who um, they the family is really into professional wrestling, and it's the dream of the parents, um, to, and the parents who are played by Lena Hetty and Nick Frost. And if you ever saw two people that were physically kind of the opposite of each other, <laughs> kind of just like total, seemed like a total mismatch, had amazing chemistry as a husband and wife. They just, you felt like these were just a regular British couple had been married for years. And it's their dream for their kids to make it to America to become professional wrestlers. And movie with a lot of heart, a lot of laughs, and Florence Pugh, who I think's had a stellar year this year with it this, was the year of Florence Pugh. This and Midsummer and and Little Women, and yeah. so uh, I think she's just knocking it out of the park. And she is tremendous in fighting with my family. It's directed by Stephen Merchant, and he's done mostly British TV. But uh, if you get a chance to catch this on Netflix or Amazon, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big screen at all and is probably not available now on the big screen. But mine is Fighting With My Family. I promise you, you will not, even, I'm not, you know, I'm not as much of a big wrestling fan now. I promise you, you will not be disappointed with this film. You probably would have shocked yourself if you went back in time on January 1st, 2019 to tell yourself that you're yes. putting a WWE movie on your best of list yes, for 2019. Yes, I, I would have been in shock. I'll do number eight then. Yeah. We'll just kind of keep rotating back and forth here. And mine is the film you've already mentioned, and it's Knives Out, Ryan Johnson. Um, I fell in love with Ryan Johnson after 2005's Brick, mm-hmm. and um, I, I just thought this is a guy I want to follow. I, I have liked most of everything he's done since then. Um, great cast, Daniel Craig. Um, Anna DeArmas as Marta is great. Um, Chris Evans, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Christopher Plummer. I mean, this is a, a great ensemble cast, and you will not be disappointed. My number eight is Adam's number, it was your number nine, right? Yeah, number nine. <laughs> and that's Knives Out. How about you, Adam? Let me just say this real quick on Knives Out, too. I didn't say this. Out of all the movies in our list, I think Knives Out is the crowd pleaser for anybody. Yes. I think no matter who, it's PG-13, but I don't think no matter who you have in the room, whether it's your grandparents, your kids, your teenage kids. Yep. um, Even whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, this movie works for everybody. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's just such a good, pleasing movie. It's the best mystery film of the year, but maybe one of the best family kind of comedies of the year that the whole family can. It plays well for critics and it it plays well for the mainstream. Absolutely. All right. My number eight is from Martin Scorsese and it's The Irishman. This sprawling Netflix epic could have only maybe been made by Netflix because of the the shoot length, the money, and the control they gave Scorsese. No studio was going to give this much money or time to Scorsese to make this movie. And Netflix did. Now, the one thing we knew about going in was the de-aging technology. 
And it's there. It's a little gimmicky. I think the movie could have been made without it. But this is a master. Martin Scorsese is one of the best directors we've ever had. Yep, I agree. This is the genre that he excels at. Yep. And there's just so much to love about The Irishman. Absolutely. And it's on Netflix. You can check it out. I loved The Irishman. I think it probably will show up on my list a little bit higher up. Um, and I agree with everything you say. And so I think it's a it's a great pick, Adam. Absolutely. So we're up to number seven, and I will kick this one off. And it is The Lighthouse from David Eggers. This movie I was already predestined to like. <laughs> I love The Witch. Yep. I love moody, weird, retro stuff. And here we have this perfect little crazy movie about these two mm. lighthouse keepers, Wikis. Yep. Stuck in a storm. Maybe it was bad luck. Maybe it was a curse. We don't know how long they've been there. They're, they're descending into madness. And this is my favorite dialogue of the year. I could watch these guys all day. If they said there's a three-hour director's cut, I'm in. Yeah, absolutely one of the most engaging films of the year. Uh, engrossing film. May or may not be higher on my list. <laughs> Which shocks me that uh, something this... It, it's very Hitchcockian, kind of like just crazy, bizarre feel at times to it. Um, I'll have a few more things to say maybe a little later about The Lighthouse. And we'll just point out about our list. All these films are probably both of us are probably at worst four and a half star. These oh, are all yeah. four and a half, five star films. So yeah. we think these are all every, great films. Every one I think of it's my, tough to rank them. Yeah, every one of my top ten are four and a half. You had to go to uh, all, all. I'll mention some of my honorable mentions at the end. Yeah, I had to go to film eighteen to find one that was less than four stars. So that tells you how, at least yeah. how how strong I felt two thousand nineteen was. All right, all right that, was your, that was your number. My number seven is a film that completely shocked me. I never thought would be on my top ten list. A film that is. I think it's just not even was geared for me, and that's Little Women. Okay, yeah. I, I You know, this is the classic. This is great. Here's what it is. I've come to discover that I'm in love with Greta Gerwig and anything she does. I, you know, when I saw her in Lady Bird, just amazing, you know? And um, here you have Cersei Ronan, Florence Pugh again, Emma Watson, classic tale. It, not, even a, not even a movie that I should... That I would normally think is for me, you know, but just her use of time as a plot device and not just as a gimmick, but to really have emotional impact. There's a scene in this movie where you realize what's kind of going down and you kind of fall into this stream of consciousness with her literally jumping. I mean, somebody will walk out of a room and walk back into the same person will walk back into the room. And it's two different time periods, and it slowly you slowly adapt, and it creeps up on you. And then there's a there's a pretty dramatic scene late in the film uh, that uses this aspect of time, and it just nailed me. Thoroughly loved it. Watched it with some of the family; they loved it as well. And so my number seven is um, Little Women. Yeah, and not enough can be said about this movie. Greta Gerwig nailed it. This is definitely the best adaptation I think there's ever been of Little Women. Oh, I, I, and yeah. it just shows us that Greta's talent. She can take something very well-worn. We've seen hundreds of adaptations of this through the years. And she can make it somehow new and engaging and fresh. Yeah. So I'm excited for whatever she's got next. Absolutely. Okay, we're all down to our last film in the first segment, number one. And that's our number six film. I'll go ahead and kick that off. 
this is a Noah Baumbach film, and I have not seen anything that he's done since The Squid and the Whale. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't really been following him that much. And it's a marriage story. And um, actually, I wasn't able to see this in the theater because it screened the same night. Was it Lighthouse was screaming? Knives Out. Knives Out. And so we had to split duties. You went and saw Marriage Story, and I went and saw Knives Out because you'd already caught Knives right. Out. And um, I remember you thinking, asking you, how was it? And you're like, it's really good. Yeah. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And then I saw it. And Adam Driver, uh, Scarlett Johansson, just superb. I mean, you literally, it's called Marriage Story. I would say it's film at its best form as far as the craft. They tell you right from the beginning it's a couple that are getting divorced. It's called Marriage Story, and they're getting divorced. And you, you get a really hard-hitting look at what divorce can be. And so I just really, I saw this film twice. I watched it. Uh, once by myself, and then the, and then I watched it once with the, my my wife and daughter, and they both loved the film and said, "Man, that's a really good film," you know. Yeah. And I I think it definitely houses maybe two of the best performances of the year between Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. Two of the most emotionally charged yeah. performances. I I never thought so so so. This is not meant to be a negative or or like a a negative downer kind of a comment, but. You know, Scarlett Johansson is really good in the Marvel films, but you kind of forget what kind of acting chops she really has. I mean, when she has something to really chew on, a meaty, emotional, dramatic role, and she just nails it here. I mean, she's so good in this film. And then I never thought Adam Driver could really hit that deep emotional range because he's always kind of placed kind of a stoic character, you know, uh, and he just nails it. I mean... He really it's one of the just two of the best, like you said, two of the best performances on on the film on, on screen this year. And my number six is one you definitely need to get to the theater and see, and that is 1917. This World War One epic deserves to be seen on the biggest screen possible because it's such a unique viewing experience. It was shot and cut to look like an all immersive single take journey from the start of the mission till the end. It's probably the most engaging movie I've seen all year because you're literally on the edge of your seat. Beautiful cinematography by Deacons. Oh, gorgeous. Expert directing by Mendez. This really came together into a movie that's really unlike anything else I've seen. Yep. And it's a pure cinematic experience. This never would have been the same as a novel, radio drama, any other format the story can have been told. It's always going to excel as a cinematic experience. And they, they played all the highlights of cinema. Yep, Sam Mendes, Roger Deakins uh, have crafted what I consider a masterpiece yeah. of a film. And so it, it will be on my list just a little bit later. Okay, that right, was that, our... Yep, that's going to wrap it up for our uh, the first our six, our 10 through 6. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, you'll get our top five. You're listening to The Film Coterie. and we're back and it's time for the top five of 2019. I will say this, 
all five of my films in my top five were four and a half stars. One of them is a five star. And it is the five best cinematic experiences I had in 2019, hands down. So, okay, you want me to go first? Or you yeah. No, okay, so ahead. my number five is The Irishman. Yep. And again, you know, we, we've already said it. Scorsese is a master of his craft. Um, and the cast, the ensemble cast, you got De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Romano. I'm four actors in, and, and, and you know, there's vowels at the end of all their letters, you know. Keitel, Paquin, Plemons. It just goes on and on and on. I think this is a film with legs. I think this is a film that they will be watching 25 years from now in, in film classes and studying yeah. the craft of film. It's layered. It is, I think, Scorsese's magnum opus. I think it's the culmination of, you know, 35 years of filmmaking and him crafting and bringing it all together. Um, it's got, he loves um, ex exploring violence and religion and how they tie in together, spiritual themes that are tied to violence. Um, and so if you're a fan of any of his former films, I think you'll greatly appreciate, if not love, the Irishman. It's my number five film. I'll say this too. You realize some of the negatives of social media surrounding The Irishman. One, I couldn't believe how long we'd to spend talking about whether or not Scorsese liked Marvel movies when it didn't matter. That got overblown. And then I always feel like all the hot takes on Anna Paquin's role in The Irishman are way overblown. Right. Yeah. I think she had a very important role. And it's interesting. You just read what Scorsese had to say about it too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number five was Lulu Wang's The Farewell. I thought this I want, was a beautiful film about family told in a way that we hadn't really seen before, at least for me as a, as a white American, um, you know, this Asian family coming back together and they weren't Chinese. They were, they had been separated by culture because they had moved to America and the other family had moved somewhere else. And they're all coming back to, to be kind of in China and go through this thing where maybe they don't tell their relatives that they're sick or what they're going through. And it explores this family dynamic that's been separated and been brought back together. Aquafina's great in it. Um, I liked her comedic chops. This was my first time really getting to see her be dramatic. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend The Farewell. And I, I kind of had a sneaky suspicion it would end up on your list. I didn't know it would be this high uh, because you went on and on about this film after you saw it. I mean, it really, I could tell you really loved it. And dang it, of the 60 films I watched in the last two months, I didn't get a, haven't had a chance to still a blind spot for me. So yeah. I'm definitely going to pick up the farewell um, here and, and, and watch it for certain. Absolutely. Okay. Number four, you want to go, Adam? Yeah. Uh, it's a film you've heard. It's Marriage Story. Noah Baumbach, I'm a big fan of all of his work. I thought this one is going to be his top one or two. Um, just an amazing film. Great character piece. And again, not enough praise can be given to Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver on this film because two minutes in, you feel like these are fully realized characters. You even forget who you're watching, that they're so good at presenting their, right. these characters. And I think the smartest thing about this movie is that a divorce is such a head-to-head -head battle that you, you tend to want to pick sides. I think this film is really smart, especially in its screenplay, about not really forcing you to pick sides. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. They both were once in love and now are not. And they're in a terrible situation where now they're forced to be in this adversarial situation where they have to decide where their child is going to live, whether it's New York or L.A., and, and change the whole family dynamic. 
So I think this is an extremely powerful film and definitely one of the best of the year, and that is Marriage Story, and it's available on Netflix. Yep, and uh, I shared some sentiments already about it. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, great, great film, and as the award seasons roll around, you're going to see this film on a lot of lists. Uh, my number four film is a big-budget monstrosity, and I debated. I had this film all over for a while. It was my number one film of the year, and then it, it flipped around, and it's Avengers Endgame. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking about this, and I said, I'm not going to penalize a film if, even if it did have a $300 million budget, you know? And the more I thought about it, it's the culmination of 20-plus great films, 10 years of great movie making from, from Marvel, probably has one of the best comic book villains of all time. Why should I back away from a film no. that I just absolutely loved and thought was fantastic? And, and, and just being honest with you, I, it was a childhood dream to see something like this on the screen, you know? I mean, there are there are a couple things that pull nostalgia, and when you talk about Star Wars, great nostalgia. That's the most important nostalgia of my childhood. But after that, you start getting into DC and Marvel. That's that's what I watched. That's the cartoons I watched. That was the comic books I read. That was the adventure stories I was about. Those were the movies. I mean, seeing seeing these movies as as a kid and a teenager growing up so impacted me. And to see Kevin Feige Feige direct this series and make and bring the continuity in and and having Disney Plus I've rewatched a bunch of those films leading up to Endgame and Endgame is just a masterpiece of a conclusion to that that phase of Marvel so number 4 was Avengers Endgame and I am very proud to have it on my list yeah no they stuck the landing with that one I'm glad you put it on your list too for me I mean I gave that one 4 stars it's in my top 20, yep. for sure. So my number three is a film that we've already talked about, and it's Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Yeah. Um, this guy, 2015's The Witch, I thought was great. I mean, t- horrifying, terrifying. Um, and and he does not disappoint. Th- this, this duo cast of Defoe and Pattinson just nails it. I mean, every I love I love everything about this film. I love that it's shot in black and white. I love that it 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 evokes Cthulhu type imagery and weird imagery and and horrific elements from the turn of the not the turn of the 21st century from the turn of the 20th century, you know. Um and I love the climactic scene of this film evoked the same emotion out of me that 1949's White Heat with James Cagney did, that kind of go out with a bang kind of a thing. And I thought, there's just so much I just literally, I watched it a second time and was just, even on a small screen, was mesmerized by this film. Um, the dialogue between the the central, the, the, the two ca- the cast members, the, the, the wikis, as they're called, is fantastic. Defoe has Defoe. If he doesn't clean the award season, he has some of the best monologues in this yeah. of, of of all time in a movie. So I loved the lighthouse. Any way you can get it and watch it, I would recommend it. Um, it is just, it is just. I, I just can't wait to get into the screen and see what Robert Eggers does next. Which the rumor is we're going to see some Vikings. And Willem Dafoe again. Oh, I cannot wait. So anyway, number three, The Lighthouse. 
with the lighthouse too. The first real snowstorm we get, I already bought the lighthouse on iTunes. I'm probably throwing it on to be just kind of stuck in and watching that. It's the perfect film. It sure is. My number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. This is Quentin Tarantino in the way I love him most when he's showing us something that he has a real nostalgia for. And for here, it's late 60s Hollywood. This screenplay turns a lot of things on its head that you may not be expecting. Two of my favorite performances of the year coming from Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. And the movie is just so much damn fun. Yes. I've now seen this four times. I love it more every time I've seen it. And I'm so excited to show people. I just showed my parents and they raved about it. Um, And they were dreading it. They were dreading the ending, as you do, if you know the real history of Sharon Tate. Yeah. But this movie is such a joy (laughs) throughout. It's just so much fun. And it has one of the all-time best conclusions of the year. I, I could not agree with you more. It is my number two film. I mean, let's jump just, right into it. Yeah. Let's just jump right into it. My number two film of the year is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love Tarantino. Ever since Pulp Fiction, I have been. I missed Reservoir Dogs for whatever reason at the time. But when Pulp Fiction came out, it's like, who are you and where have you been all my life yeah. kind of thing. Um I love older Hollywood, so it hits that button. The cast, like you said, is crazy good. I mean, this is this is DiCaprio and Pitt at the top of their game, completely interacting with, with each other. They lose themselves in these roles. You, you completely forget that it's DiCaprio and Pitt. I mean, they just, they're gone. Um, I thought Robbie is excellent in the film. Pacino's in this, Hirsch is in this film. Oliphant. I mean, the cast is superb. The music is mm-hmm. off the hook great. It's always music with Tarantino. It, it reward. I've watched it three times. It rewards multiple viewings. I picked up stuff each time I, I missed before. Uh, the little girl that's in this, uh, I forgot. Her, I forget her name, but uh, the scene that she has is fantastic. The inner, the body language and interaction with her is great. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood, my number two film of the year. What's your number two, Adam? And my number two is from the Safdie brothers. It is Uncut Gems. I'm ready to sign up to be in the cult of Safdie. The two films between Good Time and Uncut (laughs) Gems have just worked 100% for me. So with Uncut Gems, this is a symphony of tension. Oh, yeah. They're coming at you from every angle, from the rapid-fire dialogue and the yelling and the over, all the sound kind of cutting over each other. And this character that can't save his own life, he just keeps gambling whenever he gets the money. This movie had me on the edge of my seat. I've never, I can't think of another movie that made me so tense throughout. There's no break in this. Nope. There's no release. It's a hell of a ride. And it's good to see Adam Sandler in this type of role. I mean, we haven't really seen this since Punch Drunk Love. And they wanted him for this role. They wanted him to be this Jewish diamond dealer. And be kind of a smart ass and a loser and, and everything. And he just kills it. Yep. So my number two is Uncut Gems. And I'm ready for whatever the Safdie brothers have next. I, I am too. I did not make my list. Um, but I will say this. They capture the Diamond District in New York and all of its infamy very, very well. And I've not talked to one person who has seen this film and did not say, man, that film was so tense. I was on the edge of my seat. I was white knuckling it the whole time. You know, and they said, without getting into spoilers, they'll make other comments about how they wish certain things would have happened during that film. And they don't miss, they're left a little unsatisfied with that. And I think that's the intention by the Safdie brothers, you know. 
But uh, anyway, yeah, that's a good pick, man. Absolutely. Is it time for number one? Number one. Okay. I'll go ahead and go first, Adam. So if you haven't guessed by now, my number one film, my only five-star film of the year is 1917. I don't know if it would have been number one if I had not received a screener and had access to watch it again. Yeah. You know, sometimes in the past we'll see a movie and it'll really impact me. And I'll be like, man, that's like four and a half, five stars. That movie's great. But it doesn't release theatrically till January 10th, 11th, 12th. And you don't get to see it again, you know. And so um, it probably would not have landed as my number one. But I got a DVD screener of it. And I watched it three times. And it, oh my, what a film. I mean, Sam Menendez, who, who, you know, American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Bond films, Roger De- so you got Roger Deakins who did Shawshank Redemption, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother We're Out There, Thou No Country for Old Men. I mean, we could go on Blade, Blade Runner, Run- Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He is by far my favorite DP yeah. in Hollywood right now, and this movie is gripping every viewing. I was gripped again. I'm, I mean, I even I know what's coming, and I'm just gripped, and I'm I, I'm I'm hoping for at times maybe a different outcome, you know. And then, then there is such an, a, an emotional payoff toward the end of this film. Um, there's a scene in the woods with a hymn being sung, and it just brings me to tears every freaking time I see this movie. Uh, loved it. Five stars. I think it is, <clears throat> it's as close to a perfect film as you're going to get. It's unconventional. Where have we ever heard of a film where they start out on the two actors and the film never leaves them till mm-hmm. an hour and a half later? I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know if another film that's ever done that, you know? Uh, I mean, Hitchcock did Rope, where he shot in increments and, and never left a, you know, the apartment kind of a deal. But this is just, I mean, over-the-top explosions and planes flying by and bombs going off. and Thousands tr- of extras. Thousands of extras and trench warfare and... Oh, whew, I could go all day long, but my number one is 19, Sam Mendes' 1917. I'll agree with you there. It's very good we got a screener of this because we saw it in the theater the first time. I loved it. I had the question in my mind, is this film going to work a second time? Is this a one-trick pony where once you know everything that happens, the movie's not as good or not as engaging? So I answered that question. I watched it again, and it works. It doesn't matter that you know what's going to happen to characters or what how a scene plays out. It's good the second time, maybe even better. And to, to speak how good this movie is, when I was in Texas with family, I gave the screener my dad. I went in the next room to do some office work remotely. <coughs> I got sucked into the movie. I, oh, yeah. I walked out of the room oh, yeah. and sat down and watched it again. Yeah. So it pulled me away and, and captured me all over again. Wow. Okay, now I'm really curious, Adam, about your number one film. I think... I know what it is, and so I'm gonna. Sh- I'm just gonna flash it over, and you just nod if it is or not. I'm curious if I if I can guess what. But I won't say it, but I, what it is? No. Oh my gosh! He was wrong. Oh, I'm wrong. I I really have no clue where you're going here with this. So okay, folks, I'm really excited now. This was the movie that absolutely blew my mind at Fantastic Fest. Blew my mind again when I got to see it here locally, and that is Parasite. Oh, yes, of I course. I think Parasite yes. will be the movie from the 2010s that we may talk about the most going forward. And when we look back yeah. on Bong Joon-ho's career, this may be a major turning point. He's had a very solid career. Yep. But this is the best movie he's ever made. 
And it's just up there. I think this is a classic movie. Yeah. Everything about this movie works. It's great. An incredible screenplay about this family infiltrating another family. Number 12 for me. <laughs> just missed yeah. the list. Parasite is amazing. Yeah. I know it's been hard for people to see because it's had a slow rollout. It's doing really well on its per screen average. Yeah. Um, you can see it at home, but I would recommend a theater on this one because it's not necessarily for the picture and sound, but just to be immersed in it and be cut off from the rest of the world so you can take this movie in. Right. I can't recommend it enough. My best of, of the year with a bullet is Parasite. Uh, you know, it's hard to argue. It's it's it it um, well, it won our, our won our Kafka, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was the best picture award recipient for our 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 uh, our um, association, our film critics association, was the best picture winner. It's a great film. Yeah, uh, definitely the best foreign language film I've seen by far. Um, but when it, when I when I got to looking at my full list, I was it just yeah. yeah. But I can't argue with the word you said. Absolutely great. Real quick, before we switch gears and go into the best of the decade, do you have any honorable mentions? I didn't write them down, no. Uh, okay. All right, then. Uh, I'll just mention real quickly some some movies I loved, and then you can, whether you agree or disagree, just jump in at them. Loved Parasite. I loved Honey Boy. I thought mm-hmm. it was great. Shia LaBeouf. Yep. Judy, I think, is excellent. Um, going to get a lot of Oscar buzz when it comes out. Love Jojo Rabbit. Yes. That, oh, that barely missed my list. I know that I one was sitting right one. at number 12. I liked Midsummer. Yep, which Midsummer I, also Which I thought maybe was going to be your number one, but I should have guessed Parasite. And then my last four-star of the year was Apollo 11. I thought it was yes. a great, great documentary. Um, the way that they unintentionally narrate by just holding the camera and not moving it is fantastic. And all the old footage looks incredible. Uh, it's incredible. I don't think you can make a better documentary about Apollo 11 than what they did here. I don't it's either. It's the mission from start to finish, Yeah, and it's a thrill ride, even yeah. though we know what happens. It was my documentary of the year. So anyway, that's going to wrap it up for our top 10 list for 2019. Let me just throw in one last minute, because we talked about documentaries. It's not getting as much love as I thought it would, but Honeyland is an amazing documentary. Okay. I don't know quite where you can see it yet. It's coming from Neon. Um, it'll, documentaries can find their way to Netflix and the streaming services pretty easily. Uh, it's just about a Macedonian woman taking yep. care of her mother. It's devastating. It's an honest look at humanity, and I thought it was the best documentary of the year. I think something that would be fun to do, this is show programming live on the air, maybe as we get into the slow months of January, February, maybe we'll take a look back and say, here are five films you that yeah. you overlooked in 2019. Because I want to dig through that neon box we got as well. There's some great films there. The neon box. Everything by neon is so well curated. <laughs> it's A24 part two. You yes. see anything by them, I yep. I would go in cold. Absolutely. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to run through, and we won't even take a break, our, our top 10 films of the decade. And uh, you're listening to The Film Coterie. We'll be right back.
All right, we're back, and it's now time for the best film of best films of the decade. So we just ended the the teens, and um, going back to 2010 to 2019. We're going to list our, our top 10 films. So, And we're not going to talk as much no. about these because you've seen these. Yep, absolutely. Hopefully. And if you're not, congrats. you got a new yes, list of movies to watch. Absolutely. So um, talk about, just real quickly, Adam, your process of elimination. Uh, how did you get to 10 films? So for the years I had Letterboxd, which went back to 2015, that's when I kind of started hitting the festivals more seriously. I went back and I looked at my ratings and used that. And then before that, I had just Googled best movies of the year, release list. I went through all the release lists for major theatrical ones. Yep. And I just started circling movies. I wasn't ranking them. Yeah. I was just putting contenders together. So here was my, here's my similarity. I had to 2015 is when I got on Letterboxd 2. Yeah. So I went back and did a Letterboxd starting in 2010 and went to Google and searched best films of 2010 and started pulling everyone I loved in putting it in that letterbox list. And then I took a long time to yeah. rate that list, you know? And um, and then from that list, I, I, I aggregated these 10 films. I started with about 40, 37, yep. 38 films. Yeah, I had 40 contenders. Yeah, and then I whittled it down and whittled it down and whittled it down. And, and I think these, it down. Are all five, these are all five stars. So anyway. For me. Um, yes, all of mine are four and a half or five stars. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, but I'll just jump in. Number 10. My number 10, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, we just mentioned it earlier in the podcast, Tarantino, a movie about the movies, about film history, nostalgia, music, Americana, loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 2019's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My number 10 is the film on this list that I've seen the most. And that is The Good Guys from Shane Black. This is a buddy cop comedy that I think is one of the best of its genre. And I never get tired of it. Every time I watch it, I love it even more. Um, Ryan Gosling is so much fun in this movie as a goofball. It's always falling off stuff. Love the younger sister, little daughter vibe. And like I said, Good Guys, I'll put it on any chance I get. It's... It might be my heaviest rotation since Big Lebowski. Wow. Good choice. Are you, you are sitting down now, right, Adam? Yes. My number 19 is Get Out. Nice. Very good 2017 pick. Jordan Peele directorial debut. Multi-layered horror film that elevates itself into the upper echelon of the craft of film. Race, class, culture, politics are all explored with a deft hand and a comedic touch. Um, will we ever forget the sunken place? No. So my number nine of the decade is, I can't believe it, a horror film, Get Out. My number nine is one that I feel like not enough people have seen. And that is Anomalisa by Charlie Kaufman. This Great is a movie. Film. Great film. That I feel could have only been done by the puppets. Any why he did it. He took such an ugly, dark thought out of himself <laughs> that nobody is unique to him. Everything is bland. And he expressed this horrible thinking in a film to show us maybe we feel that way too. It's such an ugly thought, but caught in a beautiful way. And I said, I think he could have only done this with the puppets. So I, I really appreciate Anomalisa. Great choice, by the way. An amazing film. Um, where are we at? Number eight? Number eight. Go ahead, Adam. Do your number eight. 
My number eight, again, is a film that may not be as widely seen as I wish, and that is The Square by Ruben Ostland. Never seen it. This is a film that makes fun of art, but also itself. It really brings the question up, what is art? And it has just so many unique scenes from this human gorilla attack to the purse. I love the purse conversation on the pedestal. So definitely check out The Square. My number eight was mentioned earlier in today's podcast, and it is Avengers Endgame. I could not leave off of the best of the decade. My Some of my best movie-going experiences of the decade was going through the Avengers 21-plus film epic adventure. And so I culminated that with 2019's Avengers Endgame, Russo Brothers at their best, culmination of a great, iconic, historic comic book film run, Number eight, Avengers Endgame. All right. Let me my, do number seven. Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. My number seven is a Wes Anderson film, probably not the one a lot of you are thinking of. It's 2018's Isle of Dogs. It is the only animated film on my list, so spoiler alert for the rest of my list. Uh, Odyssey of a Boy and a Dog and His Search for That Dog. Uh Never have I seen a film, of course, I should have expected this from Wes Anderson, but never have I seen an animated film such like this that is such a metaphor for the political atmosphere of 2018, and maybe even more so today. Uh, Moving, gripping, funny, quirky, hit all of my buttons the right way. It was five stars in my number one film of 2018. All right, number seven will be our second crossover. It's Get Out. Oh, yeah. One of the best horror movies of the decade, and it's also one of the best movies of the decade. This redefined what we thought could be done with some cultural horror. Something new we hadn't seen before, Jordan Peele's massive entrance to the genre. Get Out will, I think, always be considered a horror classic. I I could not agree more. Absolutely. All right. Where are we at? Number six, Adam? Yeah, I'll take number six. I'm sticking on the horror train. Going back to David Eggers, we have The Witch. The Witch had such great atmosphere. I still remember one of the first reviews I've seen of this film. I I believe it was Drew McQueen. He said, this feels like something we shouldn't be seeing. And that review always stuck with me because he captured this family in the wilderness and the creeping horror so well. Such a beautiful atmospheric horror film, and it really nails the landing in my opinion. So The Witch is my number six. I, I couldn't agree more. It's an amazing film. So scary. I watched it in the I would not watch it at night. I would not watch it in the theater. I watched it in the middle of the afternoon with all the lights on and the windows open. So absolutely a, a mesmerizing uh, horror um, genre of a film. I, I loved I loved The Witch. Absolutely. So number six, uh, my number six is is Denis Villeneuve's 2016 Arrival. Yes. I never thought this film really would have been on my top 10, but man, when I got to looking at it and I looked at my iTunes playlist and I'm like, I've watched this film more than about any film on this list here. And it always mesmerizes me. Um, On the surface, it's a sci-fi alien discovery film, but below it is a metaphor for love, how we view time. Uh, Transcendental consciousness is a heavy theme in this film. Um, she's not awake. She's not asleep. What is she? Um, so my number six, I love Arrival. Um, shot probably on a lot smaller budget than what, what the film emanates in it. Um, but just a, just a great film and, and almost made my top five. 
All right, you want to kick off the top five with your number yeah, five? Yes, so I will say my top five, all five of these films are five-star films, films that um, I would watch in an instant, have been amazing. All of them have a story about what me watching them in the theater and what happened during that time. won't get into all of that, but my number five film is an Ang Lee film going all the way back to 2012 and it's Life of Pi. Um it's a stranded at sea tale, um, but it's so much more than a boy in a boat with a tiger, right? It's about innocence lost. It's a it's it's a beautiful film. It's full of symbolism, full of metaphors. Emotionally, just nailed me at the theater, and I've watched it a couple three times since then. Just love this film. I think it's, I think it's just a beautiful film. And I could, being five stars, I could not leave it off the list, and it just continued to climb until it got into the top five. Okay, my number five has already been mentioned, and it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is Quentin Tarantino's Best of the Decade, and it's one that I see myself revisiting frequently as I go forward. I mean, this is top three of his career for me. So, number five, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, how about your number four, Adam? My number four is the film on this list that I've thought about the most after seeing it, and it is Holy Motors. This is a film that is about film. Uh, we don't know what it is. These actors are being driven around in a limo, having to do these performances without questioning anything. Beautiful film. One that just utterly captivates me every time I watch it. And that is Holy Motors. So my number four film, um, let me give you, I, I, I need to share a little bit of background about this film and why it landed on my list. We're going to go all the way back to 2011 for this film. And it's The Artist. And people loved this film. People hated this film. But for me, um, it, it is it is a film that was done in black and white. It's a silent film. It's about the silent film era. I love movies about Hollywood to begin with. But, you know, in my college years, in high school years, and early adulthood years, I was a movie fanatic. I took film classes in, in college. I just was a movie nut. And then I got into having kids and working my career and movies became secondary. And um, w- one of our original co-hosts, Matt, if you go back to early episodes, Matt and, uh, was on the podcast with us. Uh, I had just met Matt and his lovely wife. And the first social thing we ever did together was we went down to the Drexel and we watched The Artist together. I think Matt didn't like it, to be honest with you, you know, but... It rekindled my love for the craft of film and my love for Hollywood and my love for movie making. And it brought me back on this journey of loving film that eventually led to 2016 when we started this podcast. So love the artist. Um, It probably is kind of one of those random picks, but it is a five star film for me. Um, Love the love the film. That was my number four. Oh, number four. So we're to number three now. Yep. I can right. go if you want. Yeah, go for it. My number three is Sam Mendes' 1917. Uh, we've already talked about it during this podcast. It's innovative. It's emotional. It's heartfelt. Um, it is one of the best three films I have seen in this decade. That is my number three film. My number three is a film that I think all remakes should be judged against, and that is Suspiria. This uh, movie yeah. completely blew me away. <laughs> I thought it couldn't possibly be as good as I thought it was the first time I saw it, and I couldn't wait to get back in the theater to see it again, and it just confirmed it. 
when they announced they were remaking Suspiria, everyone's like, oh, well, he's got to do the colors and the neon and the music. He didn't do any of that. He took the nuts and bolts and the heart of the story and made something much more deeper, where the original Suspiria is all surface-level beauty and fun to watch. He made this thing with roots, and he wanted you to dig it out to really love it. So Suspiria, from 2018, is my number three movie of the decade. All right, and you want to do your number two? Yeah. When we talk about perfect action movies, we think Die Hard. This is the film I thought was your number one. Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) And this decade gave us a new one that is an undisputed, almost nearly perfect action movie. That is Mad Max Fury Road. From the stunts and just the nonstop action from start to finish, edge of your seat, octane, explosions, chasing, just just an experience. Mad Max Fury Road is my number two film of the decade. My number two film, um, and I'll say this about my number one and my number two film, these were my two best cinema experiences of the decade, and they're polar opposite experiences. One of them was heartfelt, heartstrings, beautiful, emotional, um, just nailed me uh, in, a, in, in a way that I couldn't believe, was a foreign language film. I mean, just anything that could have been a barrier was blown away. My number two film is Roma, 2018, mm-hmm. Alfonso Cuaron. There's beauty and simplicity and family is kind of the theme that, that comes out from that film. And the beach scene, to me, is the most cinematic, dramatic thing I saw in 10 years on the screen. Just lovely, um, incredible to watch. Got to go see a a, a 70 millimeter print of this. I mean, just incredible. I actually went back to 2018 and thought, man, this should have been number one, you know? Why did I put Isle of Dogs ahead of this? And then I went back and forth and I'm like, okay, they're both five star movies, one and one A, you know, one A and one B. But my number two is Roma. And then my number one film, the best film I saw in 2000. 10 to 2019 was Mad Max Fury Road. Your number two, George Miller directed face melting cinematic experience of the decade. As much as Roma was heartfelt and emotionally, this was strap into your seat and blow you away for an hour and a half. I mean, literally there is not a second in this film to catch your breath. No. And, and I loved every second of it. And then the, in, in, in their brilliance, George Miller released a black and white version of this film. Blood and Chrome. Which I think is superior to the original, which I cannot wait to see when it comes back to the theater again. So my number one film of the decade, Mad Max Fury Road. And my number one is the one that took the indie world by storm and signaled the arrival of a new major indie preference in Refn, and that is Drive. This movie, everything works for me, from the soundtrack to the script to the performance of Gosling. This is the movie that I want every indie movie to be, and it's what I always kind of hold things up against. Now, what's interesting with me and Refn, I don't love everything that he does. I'm hit and miss. I'm one of those that every other Refn works for me. Um, like I, I really don't like Only God Forgives, but I, I, I love Driven, and I really like... Neon Demon, and we could go through his whole filmography like this yeah. where I, I'm hot and cold on him. But when he nails it, in my opinion, I'm in love. And Drive, that's what I'm so happy to own the soundtrack to. I listen to all the time. 
And again, this is kind of what I judge every indie film great against. Film. Yeah, absolutely. So my number one, and this is there's a chasm. As much as I love Fury Road, my number one is Drive. Wow, awesome. Well, you know, looking back on the last ten years, I looked at my list, and let me just share a few things I discovered about how I rated the decade. First off, my first 20 films on my list were all four and a half stars or higher. So I think that's that's pretty good. But I had three years of the decade that were completely omitted. 2010, 2013, and 2014. 2010, How to Train Your Dragon, which I love, five-star film, was number 11 on my list. The worst year of the decade was 2013, mm-hmm. where Gravity at three and a half stars was my highest rated film. Hmm. 2014 was left off the top 10, but it had nine four star films on it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Those four star films being Whiplash, John Wick, Inception, and Toy Story 3, but it didn't make the top 10. None of them did. I had 10 different directors on my list. My best year, surprisingly, even though I had three films from 2019, my best aggregate year was 2018. Four films at five, four and a half stars or higher, but it's not until film 22 that I find a three and a half star film. I had 21 films that were four star and higher. Highlights include Roma, Out of Dogs, The Favorite, Ballad of Buster Struggs, Mission Impossible Fallout, all films that I could have put in that top 10 and argued easily. Real quickly, 2016 had the top film in my list, Mad Max, but by film seven, I was at three and a half stars. <laughs> hmm. And only one animated film, Out of Dogs, in 2000. Um, uh, 18 made the list. So, yeah. So, well, one thing we should mention too, when we were doing our lists, we found ourselves going back to look at older lists and Roger re-ranking and were, them. Roger and I were giving better scores. This is something that time gives you time to look back on the film. Maybe you've seen it more times. You're thinking back on it fonder, but I found myself bumping up scores to films I'd seen and ranked previously. Yeah. I actually rearranged a couple of my years and moved my number one off of it. I didn't knock any films down, though. That was kind of the interesting thing. All the films are bumped up, in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. So, anyway, that's going to wrap it up for our best of episode. Adam, how can folks reach us on the interwebs? We are everywhere. You just have to search for at Film Coterie. You'll find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And our website is filmcoterie.com. There you go. And remember, we're going to have some exciting announcements coming up in January this month. Uh, And also, we still have our first film of the year to review in January. Brand new year, Adam. All over again. Do you know roughly how many films you ended up watching in 2019? Not counting festival submissions on festivals where I judged, I was at 246. 246 films, folks. I came in around 83, I think, so... (laughs) And I and people look at my schedule like it's insane. How did you see eighty three films? Well, let's be fair. I I'm not married. I don't have any children. <laughs> I'm a night owl. This is so true. Movies are always on. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Great year in two thousand nineteen. Great cinematic year. I'm looking forward to two thousand twenty. Maybe on our next show, if we just review one film, we'll look at a handful of films we're looking forward to in two thousand twenty. And we'll put up we'll pull up some uh gems you may have missed. We'll tell yes. you which ones to definitely check out as they start to hit VOD. All right, you guys have a great one. We'll see you next time on another episode of the Film Coterie Podcast. <laughs>